0: Fun Podcast Network.
1: This is Chaos Cast, the Chaos Community Podcast, where we share use cases and experiences with measuring open source community health, elevating conversations about metrics, analytics, and software from the community health analytics open source software or short chaos project to wherever you like to listen.
0: Welcome to this episode. This podcast is brought to you by your friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com chaos.
1: We have on the panel today the following people.
2: Hi, I'm Don Foster. I am Director of Open Source Community Strategy within VMware's Open Source Program Office. I'm also a Chaos Board Member and Maintainer. Welcome to our podcast. Hi,
0: everybody. I'm Matt Germanprey. I'm a professor at the University of Nebraska at Omaha's College of Information Science and Technology. I am Chaos Co-Founder and board member, and also a current co-director of the Chaos Project. Hey, everybody.
3: I'm Sean Goggins. I'm a Chaos co-founder and board member, professor of computer science at the University of Missouri, and I initiated and maintained Chaos's Augur project.
1: Hi, my name is Georg Link. I'm the director of sales at Biturgia, also a Chaos co-founder, board member, co-lead, and I, I welcome you to this episode.
4: Hello, I'm Don Marty. I'm a Chaos board member, and I'm currently working with Consumer Reports on a project related to the California Consumer Privacy Act.
1: So for this episode, we want to talk about what is open source community health. And the idea for this podcast came after a friend of mine was listening to the first episode, and he said, well, what are you even talking about? He has no background in open source himself. And so we want to create one episode today that anyone can go to to get the foundations and the basics of what it is that chaos is about. The this podcast is about what is open source community health. So, as a basics, open source, let's start there. Open source is a software development practice for developing software in the open. With a license that gives rights to users and developers. And the open source definition that determines whether a license can be open source or not is maintained by the open source initiative. The elemental rights are for anyone to inspect, modify, and enhance the software. Now, when you have a software development project that is open like that, there are people who will self select to be part of this project and the processes. And this is the people that form the community. So an open source community are people who like to advance the software. They can be developers, but there are often very many people who are involved as well around helping other users or just users who want to ask questions or people who want to do marketing for the software and spread the word. Or documentation writing, so there's a lot of people involved in our communities. And when we talk about the health of community, this is not we're, we're not talking about medical health of the people. We're talking about is the community able to continue developing quality software and supporting each other in using this software. So this is what open source community health is for us. Or at least to me, so maybe I open this up and see if there are any other opinions from the other panelists.
2: Yeah, I think one of the things that I think is really important to think about is that when you're when you're talking about open source communities, a lot of people naturally uh, think of primarily the software developers, the people who are developing the software and when when I talk about open source community, I'm talking about much more than that, so I'm talking about the People who are writing documentation, maybe they're doing translation, maybe they're helping to moderate different elements of the community. There are so many things that go into producing an open source software project that includes certainly software development, but it also includes everything else that you would expect when you're talking about developing any type of of product. In this case, it just happens to be an open source project. So that's one of the things that I think is really important is that when we're measuring the health of this open source community that we're really looking at all of this, all of these different aspects and looking at the overall health of the project beyond just the the code that's going into it.
3: I think another point that I would make is open source is a word that's used to characterize uh, probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of projects that hold the characteristics that you mentioned. Another Consideration is that not all open source projects consider themselves healthy or not healthy or want to improve in the same areas. There's as much diversity in open source projects as there is in the world. So, what one project thinks of as we're doing great might be how
4: another project looks at itself as needing to improve in some area. And not all open source projects have a community. There are certainly zillions of single-person open-source projects that satisfy the need of of one person. And there are company-specific open-source projects that that are not organized on a community basis. And and that's fine, too. One of the really promising uses of metrics is picking out open-source projects that have a community from those that have other goals and organizations. And certainly
3: sustainability becomes a question there if I'm a company to trying to decide what open source project to use. One of the things I might be interested in is, is it a one-person open source project and what does that mean? And if it is a one-person source one open source project, does that mean that there's greater risk or are there reasons to not worry about that? For example, that person works for a company who pays them to do it, and if they leave, somebody else will take over.
2: Yeah, that was actually, it's really interesting because that was, you know, one of the first like big projects that I was doing related to open source was when I, when I worked at Intel, we were looking at which open source projects were likely to be strategic for us moving forward, in which case we should be working to, you know, make sure that those open source projects supported various Intel technologies. And this was back in, you know, 2000 or so, I guess. And the community was honestly like probably the biggest factor in my analysis of these open source communities. It was, is there, you know, is there a robust community around it? Are there communities of users? Are there people, you know, regular, regularly releasing code around this project? And does it have this, this robust kind of, I don't know, center of gravity that means that it's likely to continue in the future as opposed to something that might be, you know, maintained by a single person or two people. I think one of the biggest examples of this recently was OpenSSL, right? So this is an open source project that is in use by almost every single big company in the world. And it was maintained part-time by a couple of people who could barely afford to do it. The Linux Foundation stepped in and, and kind of helped with this and provided some financial support. And there was, you know, kind of a groundswell from a lot of different companies. But this was a good example of something that loads of people relied on for critical parts of their infrastructure that didn't have a robust community of developers behind it.
3: I I think people thought it was finished and the security world became a moving target.
4: Would open source metrics have helped companies address the open SSL situation before it became a headline problem? I think they could have the first thing they would have identified is that all of my projects
3: or many of my projects rely on that software. And the second thing metrics would have done is point out that nobody's really doing anything to keep it up to date. And if that came to the attention of a security group in most organizations, that would be a red flag,
2: I think. Yeah. One of the th- metrics that I personally look at, especially as it relates to the projects that are started within VMware is kind of the what I call contributor risk, which is you know how many can people are regularly contributing to this project making up you know kind of the majority of the the commits to this project and if it's one person that might be a red flag if it's two people you know maybe it's questionable if you know if you have five or six people before you hit 50 or 75 percent of the commits in the past year then you know you've got enough people that if something happened to one or two of those people that the project would would survive and I think that was one of the project one of the problems with OpenSSL was a lot of people didn't realize just how much of this project relied on just a couple of people part-time.
1: So Sean, you used the word sustainability and one of the, 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 I know there's the Sustain OSS group and there's a lot of conversation about making sure that we have sustainable open source projects. And now we are talking about the healthy open source projects. So where is that distinction between health and sustainability, or is that actually the same thing?
3: Well, there's a. I think health and sustainability are similar. Health is more immediate. Sustainability is kind of a longer view. And the example that's been used by the sustained community that really resonates with me is the example of a shared commons that Eleanor Ostrom, uh, an academic from England, I think, looked examined a long time ago. So the metaphor is every person in the village has a goat and there's sufficient grazing area for each goat. And a few people decide they're going to get a couple more goats because they can get more goat milk. And eventually the commons, the common grazing area becomes overgrazed and not sustainable for the community. I think, so what is the scarce resource is the question in open source software. And I think sustainability speaks to where corporate and developer attention is focused because the limited resource the commons are people people are the thing that has constraints on it so sustainability means is enough attention being paid to a project by people in a way that's appropriate for the life cycle that that part of the that particular project is in
1: thank <laughs> you yeah.
3: sure i throw it out, and i throw it out <laughs> other people for other definitions i that may not be the canonical definition So,
0: I guess one of the questions I'd like to ask is, how much do you, when you're looking at a software community, how much do you differentiate between looking at the community purely from a a using the software perspective versus looking at the community from, I would like to contribute to this community? These might be two different paths in how you might understand health
4: one of the biggest indications of community health is sort of how do the infrequent or drive-by contributors get uh, treated or get their contributions accepted i think one of the the signs of a healthy community is that users of interoperating projects are able to kind of step over the line and make a small contribution in order to facilitate connecting one project to another. So, so in small, infrequent contributors can be a big sign of, of project sustainability.
0: When, when folks were talking about OpenSSL, I'll kind of go back to this. Was it the intention to to be a contributing member to that community <laughs> or just understanding that the community is healthy I don't actually want to contribute to it, but I want to make sure it's healthy so that I can so that I can leverage the software there. Versus, I want to contribute. I want to understand the health, and I want to contribute to a community because I want to have I want to have a say of how that community direction goes.
2: I think in the case of OpenSSL, because it's pretty mature, I think a lot of people were thinking about that more from the standpoint of is it is it healthy. Is it healthy from the standpoint of being able to continue to serve its function? So in the case of, of OpenSSL, there was a huge security vulnerability and not enough, you know, not a lot of resources to fix this problem. And that's when people realized that when something happens and there is a vulnerability, the resources to fix it are are pretty, pretty scarce. And the reality is like OpenSSL, you're talking about pretty hardcore security technology that a lot of people frankly just don't have the the experience to to contribute to but i think a lot of other projects that that people work on so if you think of you know for example something like a like a kubernetes a lot of people want to contribute to it so that it you know fills the needs that they're going to have in the future certainly vmware contributes a lot to kubernetes because we think it's really important part of of the infrastructure that we're building a lot of products on top of and that we want to help support that community and contribute to it and make it better and make sure that it, you know, solves the, the needs that we think that not just we're going to face, but that other companies are going to face in the future. And so that's more of a contribute to case.
3: And I think the, the evolution working group and chaos kind of looks at this as there's, there's needs and metrics that are important at the beginning, like newcomers is a super important metric at the start of a project. And OpenSSL was a, what we would call a mature project, and I think its case might be metaphorical to the bridge collapse in Minneapolis in 2007, where it was just a stable, assumed functioning part of the infrastructure, and it, in fact, was not being maintained in the context of evolving security threats. So we've talked
1: about different cases where we want to understand open source community health. and. We, we do have the chaos project that is actually trying to collect all the different ways that we want to understand community health in all of these different cases. So maybe we can take a moment to talk about the what, what are the different working groups? Sean, you already mentioned the evolution working group, but I know there are more and there are other ways that we can also conceptualize areas of community health.
0: Sure. So also in the the chaos project, we have the risk working group, we have the common working group, we have a working group focused on diversity and inclusion, and we have a working group focused on on value. So within each one of these working groups, uh, the intention is to articulate and then define metrics that can improve transparency for open source projects around these particular areas. So for example, within the risk working group, one of the areas of interest is around licensing. So gaining better understanding of the licenses that are associated with an open source project. In the diversity and inclusion working group focuses on, say, event diversity and inclusion. So how do we understand diversity and inclusion in the events that the community runs. So each one of these working groups focuses on slightly different areas where we can improve the transparency around community health of a project.
2: And the other thing I think that's important to recognize, especially since this podcast is sort of geared towards new users, is that when we talk about these working groups, we're really talking about coming up with definitions for metrics. So that's something that anyone can contribute to. So if you're interested at all in metrics, anyone can participate in these working groups and help us define the metrics. These generally start out as collaboration on on Google Docs and discussion about what it means to measure a particular metric. It eventually gets implemented in software and that's another way to contribute to the chaos project. But anybody can participate in these working groups.
4: And that's a big list of metrics by now. And the one of the reasons I think that there are so many of them is that as we were talking about before, Different metrics have different audiences. Sometimes the audience is downstream users, people who might want to depend on that software, and sometimes it's people who uh, want to contribute to that software. So many different metrics to choose from. One of the reasons that there are so many metrics is that different metrics have different audiences. Some metrics are designed for people who might want to be end users of the software or make their own projects depend on it. And some metrics are targeted to people or companies who are interested in contributing to or supporting that software.
1: And Don, I know you also have different categories in which you think of metrics. Do you want to speak to
4: those? Sure. Sure. One, one really. Uh, well-established category of metrics that that is not technically a community metric, but is intimately connected to community metrics is software engineering metrics like uh, test coverage. And so besides software engineering metrics, you've also got metrics around contributor reward in a project such as metrics that cover retention and contributor satisfaction and then you can also do metrics around software impact so how how much is this project depended on by other software or how much is it used so one of the one of the biggest uh, most interesting areas to me in the metrics field is trying to figure out which of the fast moving and automatable metrics are best at predicting that contributor reward and retention and predicting those impact and software quality metrics. I think you have two key
3: areas that apply to different categories of software. So software engineering metrics related to test coverage, I think are important for safety critical types of systems and maybe less important to web apps or other core infrastructure. I think when it comes to what projects are emerging as sustainable is important. I'm wondering, Don, what do you think of things like Are there a lot of job postings for a particular technology? In other words, does the fact that there may be many jobs for Kubernetes right now, does that influence how many people participate in that project? How do people decide what to contribute to, I think, is one of the things that goes through my mind as I think about the metrics we're building.
4: Well, the holy grail of open source metrics would be the combination of metrics that tells you where the job postings are going to be two years from now. So if you had a metric that would tell you, say, Django is going to be in 50% of all web dev postings in two years, then you would work on develop your expertise in Django, and then you'd be able to apply for all those, those jobs requiring two years Django experience. Or it could be some some project that you'd you'd never heard of. So I think I think of job postings as kind of like an indication of this software has already won. So the 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 job postings are like say a trailing metric. Yeah. Yeah. Having a lot of job postings about your open source project is like getting a Pulitzer prize for your investigative journalism piece. And the metrics that you want day to day are like finding the company that you want to do that investigation of in the first place. So there's, there's metrics out there that will tell you what's going to be hot and job postings are kind of a, a lagging indicator of Communities that have that have broken out and become successful yeah
3: and I think there's a i agree that's that's a really good insight, and I might look at metrics for which companies are contributing to which new projects, for example, as a leading indicator. I think another important consideration is identifying projects and the communication within them that are welcoming and projects that are not so I think we have a diversity and inclusion working group, and we have ways of discerning positive and uh, not so positive and welcoming language for new newcomers. And those kinds of metrics might might be helpful for understanding which projects are going to be robust, welcoming, and fun
4: over time. Sure, sure, and and there are there there's there's a huge amount that you can do with natural language processing of what do these commit messages or comments in the code sound like? And and what can you tell is happening from that?
1: So what I'm really taking away from this conversation right now is that there, there are metrics that we can look at to show, hey, we are doing well. Everything is already really good and then there are others that are more on the day-to-day work where we want to maybe anticipate what is going to happen so we have the lagging metrics and then the early indicating metrics
3: and i'm curious for don's perspective on from a organization like vmware obviously there's a corporate interest they make money as presumably or they wouldn't be a business they'd be a charity of some sort and i'm just curious what Don and I kind of waxed philosophical about what metrics might be interesting. And I'm curious what, from a practical perspective, are some of the things VMware concentrates on?
2: Yeah, I think one of the things that we look a lot at is kind of strategic importance for for projects. So one of the things that the Open Source Program Office does at VMware is we look at things that we think are going to be important to the technology industry and to VMware in more of a forward-looking fashion. So we we have people who are contributing to things like machine learning, edge, IoT, and Internet of Things uh, technologies. So things that aren't necessarily things that VMware needs right now, but are things that we think are going to be strategic in the future. And then, And so that's kind of from an open source program office perspective. We take a very strategic approach, but we also have business units who have Products, which is actually how we, you know, make money as a company. We sell, we sell software products to people. And those business units also look at open source from a strategic perspective. So things like, like Kubernetes, for example, I mentioned this before, but we're building a lot of our technologies on top of Kubernetes and it's incredibly strategic for us from a product perspective. So we we do tend to look at both you know forward looking technologies that we think are going to be important moving forward but we also look at our you know existing and future product lines and product strategies moving forward and what open source projects are likely to be important to us and then we contribute to those types of projects or we start our own in the cases where there there are gaps you know we have a project that we started called turn which is a container compliance tool because not a lot of people were thinking about how you manage compliance and license license compliance and things like that within a container. So, you know, we started a software project that does that because it was important to us as a business. So, yeah. So we look at it, I think, from a more of a strategic perspective.
3: And, and would you say VMware, I'm sure, has a, a range of product lines and what's healthy even across those product lines might be different from that context to context, that what you're looking at might be different from context to context. Am I guessing correctly?
2: Yeah, absolutely, for sure. I mean, there are different uh, different technology stacks that are different, important to different business units. In some cases, if if there's a business unit that's just using a piece of technolo- open source technology, you know, maybe we don't make as many contributions to it. In other cases, we do make a lot of contributions to some of the software that's important to us. But it's kind of on a on a case by case basis, depending on. On you know what we need as a company, whether or not we're making you know changes that we need to contribute back, and it yeah it's a lot of a lot of factors, and each of our business units because we're a, you know quite a large company we have autonomous business units, and each one of those has a a different product strategy. So what's important to one business unit may or may not be important to another.
1: So as we're looking at chaos metrics, uh, in practice I think they are like the end of a thread, and then as you start pulling to get more and more clarity for the projects of your interest, the then you also get to see what else you might be interested in. So as you're starting to pull, for example, looking at activity dates and times as a metric to get some insights on, you know, when are contributors active? And what does that tell us about the, their location across the globe? Or are they contributing in their Work time, or are they contributing in the evening? And then, as you are starting to dig deeper and start to keep pulling the thread, there may be new questions or different answers that you're looking for as well. So that is uh, something to keep in mind as well when you're working with metrics. They don't always have to have the complete answer. Sometimes it's just a nice way to ask new questions. So as we are as we are talking about metrics um, and we will go into the this is a note for the audience. As we are creating more episodes, we will go into more of these contexts, like what Don was describing at VMware, and we'll look at other contexts as well. For this episode, I'm also interested in, you know, the basics. like there are different ways of creating metrics. You've talked about that there may be automated ways to get metrics. But I know we are also talking about metrics that cannot be automatically generated. Maybe we can talk about the different ways that we can get insights to open source community health. What are your I, thoughts on that?
3: I, I think I'd, I'd like to hear Don Marty's perspective. He's edited an open source magazine, worked at Mozilla, pays a lot of attention to privacy and diversity and inclusion, and certainly also been involved in a lot of the metrics work that we've been doing. So I'm, I'm curious about sort of Don has this Don Marty has this big picture kind of that you know looks out over a a wide range of perspectives. And so I'm curious about his thoughts on that.
4: Yeah, I think about the metrics that are really hard to automate as being kind of the slower moving but most obviously impactful metrics. So If you go to Moscone Center in San Francisco and there's a banner with your project logo on it, then that's obviously a sign of success. And it's hard to automate, but it's something that happens late and downstream in the progress of a project. And some of the more automatable metrics. Like, how many curse words are in the commit messages are, are not as obviously connected to project success, but they're really cheap and they move really fast. So, what if you could predict that Moscone Center banner from Curse words in the commit messages, then you'd really have a a reason to continue investing in that metrics program. Now, of course, we can't actually we can't actually do that yet. But the the I think as as Sean asked about the big picture, I think the big picture is trying to look for. Metrics that are predictive of other metrics, so that so that we can uh, keep feeding back and making uh, project contribution and selection decisions. Does that does that answer your question, Sean? Yeah,
3: I I just thought I mean I think I don't know if it answers. Georg's the one that asked the question. I I thought though that all these different ways that you've worked in and around open source in your career would would offer a broader perspective than than others of us who've been in corporate or academic environments most of our careers might be able to provide
4: yeah and and that that's a the the magazine editor decision on which open source projects to cover is a really tough one because you'll get You'll get great article pitches from people who are proposing doing interesting things with really niche technologies. And so sometimes, sometimes you'd get something that was technically, and as far as the public metrics or signs of success go, not very big sometimes you would get something that didn't look big from the public metrics but the article pitch was something that conveyed a lot of value to the end user and so based on that demo code you could walk backward and say hey wait a minute there here's here's someone who has managed to make a demo project using this open source community's work and it's a really cool demo. So what is there about that that indicates that the community is on the right track or healthy or sustainable. And you can't you can't really capture that in specific metrics, but you can walk backward from today's demo code and see the underlying technologies behind that and how those technologies will inform the widely adopted code of the future.
2: Yeah, that's a really interesting insight into that into that whole process. And I think I think it also highlights the importance of some of these hard-to-measure metrics that aren't necessarily something you can get just from commit logs, from mailing lists, from you know something else. I think it's it shows the importance of some of those more qualitative metrics, so like you were saying, kind of the pitch, like understanding the context of why some of the stuff is important, which is one of the things that I think a lot of people sort of forget to ask some of those qualitative questions, but I think some of the qualitative data helps us really understand what's going on with the community from a health perspective, and some of that stuff's really interesting.
4: Yeah, and you can see when things kind of jump out of their niche, that's a powerful metric. Like a web development framework that makes the rounds of web developers is not sending that much of a signal. But when kernel developers start grabbing this web thing to put their own web application on it, then you can see, hey, wait a minute, what is it about this web tool that's getting it to break out of its niche?
1: This is really interesting. So what I'm what I'm taking away here for someone who is new to metrics is that There are some metrics that we can automatically collect from the collaboration tools of our open source communities. We can just look at the trace data and see how often, how quickly are certain activities done and logged in mailing lists and our repositories and our issue trackers. And then there are other metrics that are harder to get where we may have to have a deeper understanding of the ecosystem where we have to see the history of the project and where it's just going. Maybe there are some ways to do surveys or we can do interviews with people to really get at those more qualitative metrics.
4: Yeah, and it would be great to see more and better ways to capture interrelationships between projects. It would be great if every developer kept a blog and linked to their commit messages and said, this project influenced me to do that, or I chose not to do this because of this other thing. So the more, the more that projects cite and refer to each other, the, the more information there is on lines of influence and potential impact.
3: When you say projects cite each other, Don, I'm, can you clarify that for me?
4: Oh a good example would be commit messages that include links to documentation of another project.
3: Okay so shout out to the project X because we basically copied the method they used and they showed us the way to employ this
4: other technology that kind of thing. Yes yes it's kind of it's kind of like the the academic standard of citations but instead of trying to Go at it from an academic point of view. It's going at it from a software influence and community impact point of view.
1: So, dear listener, if you are interested in these kinds of conversations, if you're interested in open source community health metrics and want to learn more, the Chaos Project is here to have those conversations and where you can find others like minded who are happy to have these conversations with you, ask questions, and help you along. So this is a question for you all. What's the best way for someone new or interested to get involved with chaos?
3: I think the first way to get involved is to go to our website at chaos.community and look at the different metrics and think about how could I use these metrics in my project and what metrics do I need that aren't here?
2: Another good way to get started is to look at the participate page on the website and you'll see loads of working group meetings and recordings from meetings that maybe you don't, aren't good for your time zone. But the meetings are really a great way to get an introduction because that helps you get some context. You can ask some questions and it's a really good way to get started.
3: Yeah. Don't binge the next episode or season of Ozark. Get on the Chaos YouTube channel and just binge that for a while.
1: Yes, that. (laughs) Yeah. So just go to the chaos.community slash participate website, join the mailing list, watch previous calls on YouTube, or join new calls. This is where we get together and work. So with that, I would like to transition to PIX. PIX is where we highlight things that have brought value to our lives and we want to share them. And for me, I, ha- I just added a uh, new fish to my aquarium. I got 10 neon tetras. And so now the population of my aquarium is 15 total. And it's, it, there's a lot of activity and I've had a lot of fun. And also my guppies had uh, offspring. So now I have tiny baby fish in my aquarium.
2: Awesome. Adorable. All right, I'll go with my pick next. So my pick this week is picnic backpack. So we are—I live in the UK, and we're finally allowed to go outside for more than exercise. So we're allowed to go outside and stay outside and just hang out as long as we keep our two meters of distance from other people. And my partner bought a backpack that has a whole picnic set in it. It has little plates, it has little wine glasses, has a place for the bottle of wine. So we took our bottle of wine, we took our little snacks. And it comes, came with a little blanket. And so we had this whole like picnic in a backpack. It was pretty awesome. But we took it to the local park, spread it all out, and hung out in the sunshine. It was glorious.
1: That sounds amazing. Enjoy the outsides.
3: Sean? Well, I've got a couple of picks of the week, and I was trying to find a link for the second one. My first pick of the week is Slackbot Augie, who is a push notification part of the Auger front end. That's now going to send you however many metrics that you think are important each day as often as you want, so that you know which of the metrics in your ecosystem are uh, having things happen that are outside the norm. so we norm or or find a baseline, and then we look for anomalous one or two uh, degrees outside of the norm and send you notifications on those so you know when something weird is coming up and then The other thing I'd like to mention this week is the importance of health and... Ah, never mind. We are an open-source online health project. And I think that separating open-source online health from regular health is an important distinction. Sometimes people get confused. And especially in these times, pay attention to your own health as well. Some of the indicators for how you are healthy may be different now because your ecosystem or context is
4: evolving. Don Marty. Yeah, well... I have been having some serious fun with the California Consumer Privacy Act. So now that the CCPA has gone into effect, I've been sending my CCPA requests to all kinds of companies and seeing what results I get back. And I think I'm having a small but significant impact on the surveillance marketing ecosystem. So. Consumer Reports is starting up a project to enable individuals to join and pool their results and get some, some citizen science on it. But I can just say that as someone who's been doing it for a while, it's really constructive and interesting to see what you can find out.
1: Super interesting. Thanks, everyone, for sharing. So this is the wrap for this episode. Thank you, dear listener, for joining us today. To stay up to date on future episodes, subscribe for free to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. And if you have ideas for future episodes, topics, or if you just would like to come on as a guest, please email us at podcast at chaos.community. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Until
0: next time, your chaos community. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, their enterprise-grade hardware, S3 compatible storage options, and next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com/chaos.